0: Would you turn with me, please, in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 1 at verse 1, and you'll find it on page 1496, 1496 of the church Bible. Matthew chapter 1, reading verses 1 to 6, and then verses 15 through 17. We're beginning a new series of studies this morning entitled, Fulfilled, Matthew's Gospel. And we will be immersing ourselves in Matthew's gospel Sunday by Sunday, beginning, of course, with the weeks leading up to Christmas, all the way through to Easter Sunday at the end of March. And we'll finish, of course, on the story of the resurrection. And we're doing that intentionally as we believe as a congregation it's healthy for us every three and a half, four years or so to spend a protracted period of study in a gospel. And the end of this year and into next year, we're spending our time with Matthew. And so, we're beginning Matthew chapter 1 at verse 1. And Matthew writes these words, "'A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers.' Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rehab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of of King David. And then across to the end of the list of ancestors, Eliud, the father of Eliezer, Eliezer, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus were fourteen generations in all, from Abraham to David 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His holy Word. Over the next few weeks, as a nation in fact, we will enter into the Christmas season. And many of us will spend a great deal of time putting up Christmas trees and decorating the tree and decorating our homes. We will spend what seems like endless hours writing Christmas cards to family and friends. We will sit for hours in traffic, and we will shop until we drop simply because we are looking for everything from stocking fillers to that perfect gift to get to the one person in our life that we know it will be the perfect size and color and shape and exactly what that individual wanted. And some of us over the next four weeks or so will buy and receive jigsaw puzzles, And in my home, jigsaw puzzles are pretty popular, so much so that over the last few years, I am becoming more and more devious in the jigsaw puzzles that I buy. And two years ago, I bought a jigsaw puzzle without any square edges at all, and my house was quiet till the middle of February. And last year, just to be difficult, this was another jigsaw puzzle. And I also discovered last year that there is a manufacturer who makes jigsaw puzzles with four spare parts that don't fit anywhere. And you don't know about them till the end of the process. Now, why am I talking about jigsaw puzzles this morning when we've opened up Matthew's Gospel? Simply on this basis that I want to draw an analogy between jigsaw puzzles and the study of Matthew's gospel. Because whenever you pick up a jigsaw puzzle and you open it, you immediately look at the image on the box. You want to know, is it difficult? Is it easy? Where should I start? And when you open up the box, you separate out the pieces into three groups, one with no square edges, one with one square edge, and a third group with two square edges. And those, of course, as you know, inquire, you look like a highly intelligent group. You will know these are the corner pieces. And of course, when you put them in place, then you start to build your frame. And once you have a frame in place, then you go back to the corners, and you can build in two directions at the same time. And of course, you're looking for similar colors and themes and patterns. And when we come to Matthew's gospel, we will slow down for these Sundays of Advent. We will take our time. We will savor sections of the gospel that will allow us to look at different colors and patterns and themes beginning to emerge until on Easter Sunday we will see the entirety of his gospel And as we operate Sunday by Sunday and immerse ourselves more and more in the text of Scripture, what you're going to discover is this, that the more you spend time in Matthew's gospel, the more it will indeed speak into your life that week. And that's my hope and trust and prayer for us, especially during Advent. As we go through this busy, demanding, exhausting season, but on Sunday morning, my prayer is we will slow down long enough to ask, Father, what were you doing back then, and how does it apply to me today in a 21st century setting? And so that will give you a sense of where we're going. Now, if you are writing a book or an article, naturally you want an opening line that's going to be captivating, one that's engaging, one that will cause your reader to have a quick look at it and think, oh, what is he about to say? What is she about to write? Your curiosity is encouraged, and you immediately want to know more. Those of us who are parents and grandparents and great-grandparents know, of course, that one of the great joys of having wee ones at home is that when you tuck them into bed at night and you sit on the edge of the bed, you say your prayers with them, and then you open up a book and it begins, once upon a time. You immediately have their attention. They want to know what's happening. Tell us the story now, having said that, when I began reading Matthew's Gospel this morning, I wonder how many of us were thinking Richard, what on earth are you doing reading a list of unpronounceable names from unfamiliar people? Why on earth would you begin a Sunday morning with Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah? Why would you begin there on a Sunday morning? That seems almost irrelevant, unnecessary, redundant. In fact, you may even have thought to yourself, actually, why is Matthew putting that in there. Why do we have this seemingly endless list of names? Because 90% of us, when we come to Matthew's gospel, are going to flip over the list of names and come to verse 18 that said, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And if it started with, once upon a time, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about, it would immediately have our attention. But I'm not sure that too many of us are excited with Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And we're asking, Matthew, is that the best way you could begin? It's a little like someone asking you for your birth certificate. You think, oh, I'm not even sure I know where it is. And what is it saying? Why is it important? But like a birth certificate, it's about identity. And Matthew begins this way for one simple reason. Because Matthew is saying to us, Matthew is saying to us, at the very beginning of time itself, God was at work. And generation after generation after fam- after generation, family after family, decade after decade, century after century, God has been faithfully at work, interacting and engaging with real people, living real lives. Matthew is saying there was an Abraham, the father of Isaac. And incidentally, Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah. And the gateway, a glorious, magnificent gateway into the New Testament, is about the faithfulness of God. That's what's going on here. Matthew is saying the hand of God was at work, orchestrating, engineering, bringing to pass. His eternal purposes and decrees. And if He was faithful back then, guess what? He can be faithful today. That's what Matthew is saying with name after name after name. And Matthew is telling us, this is not a list of the great and the good, this is not restricted to the pop idol winners or the American talent uh, winners or the Time Magazine person of the year. He's saying this is a list of people whom we're tempted to think are seemingly insignificant, instantly forgettable, so much so we just skip over centuries of the faithfulness of God And Matthew is saying, slow down. Take your time. Appreciate. Savor. Enjoy. Understand afresh that God was actively involved in the lives of people who at times wanted to give up their faith, wanted to walk away. People like Jacob we've been seeing, seeing over the last few weeks who stuttered and stumbled and struggled in their faith. But God in His goodness and grace faithfully persevered, showed patience, created character and integrity and godliness and holiness out of the seemingly most insignificant people, And what Matthew is saying as we open up the words of the New Testament, God has been faithful in the past and will continue to be faithful in the future. And this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And when you see the passage, you begin to ask yourself, Abraham, the father of Isaac… Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, but Isaac wasn't only the father of Jacob. He was also the father of Esau, but Esau is not mentioned, and Ishmael's not mentioned. And so you begin to slow down and say, wait a minute, who is mentioned, who is not mentioned? And there is a real mixture of people, not simply folks who excelled in their faith, who are instantly mature, growing and developing in the relationship with God. No, real people living real lives, at times struggling. That's what he's telling us. And as you read on, you see, and I won't go through every one of them, so please forgive me for that, but I think you've got the sense of it. Jacob, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez. Well, Judah also had a brother called Joseph, whom Judah sold into slavery. And he was just a sparkling example of genuine faith, who passed every test and trial that came his way, so much so he became prime minister of Egypt as a glowing example of faithfulness. And the hand of God was right there but Joseph's not mentioned. But we also see that a number of ladies are mentioned. That is absolutely distinctive to Matthew. In ancient antiquity, ladies would not be included in a genealogy, but Matthew puts them in there. Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and Mary. Mary, the quintessence of grace. Rahab, the very opposite beat up and damaged, debilitated by sin, abused badly. But God was still there working in her life, drawing her close, never giving up on her, never walking away from her. Fifty-one people on the list, kings and shepherds, merchants and military leaders, governors, carpenters, Jews, Gentiles, male and female. Some are famous, others are infamous, but God patiently year after year after year after year. Now, having made that point, let me also highlight for you what's called the literary structure of the passage inquire, help me this morning, keep an eye on the congregation, because I say this all the time, and they're fed up with me saying it, so please watch out for rolling eyes, because I'm about to see it once again. Every time we come to a passage of Scripture, you know the three principles. Number one, we look at the historical context. Who is writing to whom and why? And you're going to see that over the next couple of weeks. Secondly, you look at the theological content. What does it say about God? What does it say about his interaction with humanity? What does it say about his faithfulness, his eternal nature and character and his love? And we've dealt with some of that. But the third title, of course, is that of literary structure. In other words, why does the author of the book write in a particular manner? Now, look at the established pattern. Abraham was the father of Isaac. We've seen that. Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of. And so you see a name, then you get the father of, and then another name. And then if we jump towards the end of the list, Eliud, the father of Eliezer, the same pattern. Eliezer, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. The pattern continues. Jacob, the father of Joseph, Joseph, the father of Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, the only difference is that what I've put two lines up from the bottom is not in the text. And I've deliberately put it that way because it reads Jacob, the father of Joseph, and it doesn't read Jacob, the father of Jesus, because he wasn't the father of Jesus. And Matthew makes it clear, and what Matthew writes is, Nathan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And if you're working way down in that first corner, putting together the pieces, and you see similar patterns and shapes and themes and colors, one of them is going to stand out. And you look at it and think it's almost the same, but it's different. How on earth is that going to fit in? And yet when you place it, it's perfect because here is the fulfillment of the faithfulness of God down through the centuries, and His eternal decrees are coming to fruition right here. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And that's why Matthew writes the way he does. He says, slow down, pay attention, appreciate, allow the sense of expectation to build, allow a sense of anticipation to create in you and capture your imagination and your curiosity as it begins to build towards the great revelation that the Christ was to be born. And not simply for the people of Israel, because you have in the list Jews and non-Jews, kings and peasants, carpenters and governors, all across the board, for all people everywhere, of every tribe and tongue and nation, from the beginning of eternity to its very end the external purposes of God are coming to fruition. And Matthew is laying it all out for us and saying it is being fulfilled in the birth of Christ. That's what's going on here. That's why the pattern breaks. That's why he's drawing it to your attention. Now, let me try and wrap all of this up this morning. And you may be saying, okay, Richard, I hear what you're saying. You've gone in a little deeper than I would initially like, but I think I've got a sense of what you're saying, and you're highlighting the faithfulness of God down the generations. I've got that. You've also highlighted that He will not walk away from us, and when we are tempted to walk away, tempted to give up, tempted to stop praying, tempted to stop living out our faith, He will continue to persevere with us. Okay, I've got that. But Richard, how does all of this apply to me on the first Sunday of Advent? We're about to move into that Christmas season. Richard, give me something to do, just one thing to do this week, and I promise I will prayerfully try and apply it for the week ahead. I don't need four, five, six things. I don't need a big picture stuff. Give me one thing to do. Well, let me push back just a little. And rather than give you one thing to do, let me give you one thing to be. Slow down. Be quiet. And ask yourself: Am I putting the same amount of time into my prayer life as I am decorating the tree? Am I putting the same effort and determined commitment into living out my faith morally and spiritually as I am writing cards and shopping? Slow down. Find yourself a comfortable chair. Open up Matthew's gospel. Engage with it again, line by line by line. Allow it to wash over you. Allow it to feed your soul. And you may well be saying, okay, Richard, I think I can do that, but I'm a little frustrated. And Richard here's my frustration. My frustration is this, that I don't feel that God is speaking to me. I'm not sensing that deep down inside there's a conviction there. I'm not, it doesn't feel as if He's communicating with me. How can I continue into this week if God is not speaking to me, not inspiring me, not encouraging me? Where do I go when I'm going through those dry moments and frustrated moments? Well, once again, allow me to push back a little and say this… that when you are tempted to believe, God is not speaking to you. Remember these words. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and His brothers. And remember, if He's been faithful in the past, He will be faithful in the present, and He will be faithful in the future. And when you slow down long enough to spend time in His Word, then you will discover He speaks into your life, into the challenges and into the circumstances and into the demands being made upon you. And when you spend time in the pages of his word and slow down long enough to intentionally engage and listen and persevere with patience, then you will discover that the moments when you stumble and stutter and struggle, he's going to be right there with you, whispering in your ear, Abraham was the father of Isaac. And you'll remember, faithful in the past, faithful in the present, and faithful during the season of Advent. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. Thank you for all that it teaches us about your faithfulness. Thank you that it reminds us that Advent is not a season for passive waiting, sitting around, twiddling our thumbs, but actually for engaging with you to actively slowing down, Father, enable each one of us, please, at the beginning of this season of Advent to be determined and committed to spend time with You each day. Touch us, renew us, refresh us, and grant to us, please, Your tender touch that we would live out our faith this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.